Welcome to the Soil Solutions Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Nadd, and this podcast is being produced in partnership with High Plains Journal and Great Plains Regeneration. With me today is Zach Stuckey. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Jess. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. You know, with High Plains Journal and the publisher, it really is my mission as a son and grandson to grow or just here in the heart of Kansas that we make sure soil health and our content is always practical and real. And no matter what cropping system you're in, that it impacts your bottom line immediately. Excellent. Healthy soil equals healthy people, planets and animals. And we're excited to be here. Today's Soil Solutions podcast was made possible by the Kansas Department of Agriculture and the Division of Conservation. The Kansas Department of Agriculture is the nation's first state department of agriculture. The agency is devoted to the total support of agriculture in Kansas, and this department works for the entire state of agriculture, including farmers, ranchers, food establishments, and agribusinesses. The department is dedicated to providing support and assistance to make Kansas business successful, to encourage more farms, ranches, and other agricultural businesses to expand in or relocate to Kansas. The conservation of natural resources is an important concern for all Kansans. The Division of Conservation, working with 105 local conservation districts, 75 organized watershed districts, and other special purpose districts, as well as state and federal entities to administer programs to improve water quality, reduce soil erosion, conserve water, reduce flood potential, and provide a local water supply. All right, so welcome back to today's Soil Solutions podcast. Today, our issue is being underwritten by the Kansas Department of Agriculture and the Division of Conservation. So a little bit of background here. The KDA is the nation's first state department of agriculture. The agency is devoted to the total support of agriculture in all of Kansas. This department works for the entire state of Kansas, including farmers, ranchers, food establishments, and agribusinesses. The department is dedicated to providing support and assistance to make Kansas business successful and encouraging more farms, ranches, and other agricultural businesses to expand or relocate in Kansas. So today I have Michael Thompson on the podcast with me. Welcome, Michael. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. All righty. So you are in a conservation district in Kansas. Can you give us a little bit about your geography? Tell us, tell us where you're at. Okay, I'm in northwest Kansas. I'm basically on the Kansas-Nebraska state line. I'm four counties in from the Colorado state line, so in the very top tier of counties in Kansas. Uh, About a 22-inch rainfall zone, so about the conservation, I uh, basically am pretty pretty strong in in thinking that we not only need to conserve our soils, but we need to, you know, um, put back into our soils and, and kind of regenerate our soils or get them to working for us a little bit better. So that's kind of how I got into the whole conservation thing. Uh, There was a spot on our local conservation board. So I actually, um, I actually applied and actually uh, got onto our conservation board locally too. So it's been an interesting journey so far. Okay. So this is one thing that I didn't understand about the state of Kansas, and this is kind of unique. 
Um, the, the District of Conservation in Kansas actually has representation in every single county in Kansas. So that's 105 districts that are focused on conservation. Tell us a little bit about your work with the Conservation District and how does this apply to your farming operation? Well, um, like I said, you know, we kind of live, you know, we practice what we preach or we're living the lifestyle. Um, we were a hundred percent no-till, uh, never till basically, uh, try to do rotational grazing on as many acres as we can, uh, trying to incorporate cover crops and stuff on that land. But, um, basically with what we're doing, I, I really believe in what, you know, conservation districts goal is to just basically make your soil better or to leave the soil in a better shape than what we found it. And so, you know, through a, a lot of the, the practices that the, the conservation districts can get to on a local level, uh, that's what really um, intrigues me and excites me is that, you know, it's really local based um, on the county level. Not only, you know, is there, there, there of course, are, are good people at the, the regional and the state level to help us along, but really the county boards, you know, help make the goals and and help secure the funding for different programs, uh, you know, kind of set some of the goals for the county of where we want to be and definitely are in charge of all of the, the educational events or anything that goes on within the county, you know, to, to help producers uh, understand the importance of, of, you know, trying new things on their farms and ranches, you know, um, a little bit of difference in management can go a long way to getting through some of these things like drought or flooding. Um, you know, we can we can change the way we manage our soils a little bit, and we have uh, some pretty big, pretty big changes. Uh, that being said, uh, there is the funding piece that you know to get some of these things implemented. Sometimes it can be some costs associated with that. So that's where the the conservation districts really come into play. That they can maybe find a program or secure some uh, cost share, some funding to, to help implement some of these new strategies, and then also be the support mechanism, you know, when you have questions to just go into the office and say, well, you know, what do I do here? And, and they've got personnel that can, can help you on that status too. So it's it's been really good. Yeah. So I see at the state level, the DOC, the Division of Conservation kind of has five goals. They're looking to improve water quality, reduce soil erosion, conserve water, reduce flood potential, and provide a better local water supply. So let's take that into Northwest Kansas. What do you see in particular for those goals that might be unique to Northwest Kansas? Oh, I think I think definitely erosion, erosion control is definitely a huge one, whether it be wind or when we do get the rains, which has been a while since we've got rains, we're pretty dry, but but when we do get those rains, you know, to, to control the, the erosion that happens on those and same way right now where we are dry to see, to try to control and get as much cover as we possibly can on top of the ground to, to create, you know, to, to limit the blowing events. Uh, the other thing that would be huge across Western Kansas would be the actual conservation of our water. Um, that's going to be a huge factor going forth in the next 10 to 15 years, maybe even 20 years of trying to, to mitigate the, you know, declining water reserves in, in some of the western parts of Kansas and to also um, look at how we can get our best bang for our buck, so to speak, as far as water water's concerned. So I think that those two things are probably at the forefront. The rest, you know, again, a lot of things can be fixed with, with soil management, you know, just changing the way we manage those soils. So uh, hopefully moving forward, 
through conservation and some of the works that they do, we can, we can, we can make that happen. Yeah, Jerry Hatfield on the very first podcast we had talked a lot about the soil resource management. Um, so, you know, highlighting a couple things that you just said there, I want to talk about getting covers on cropland because that's that is a, a hot topic. But what are you seeing right now? One thing I read about your bio is in the last couple years, you have had a below normal precipitation rate overall. So tell me what, what weird things are happening with rainfall that you're seeing? Is it, is it coming at different times? You know, we think about annual precipitation, but if you get all that in one or two events, you know, that's, that's wacky. What's going on? I I think, again, we're just seeing a lot of climate instability. Um, You know, a lot of things are, are not helping, but I think that, you know, what, one of the huge things that we see is there's a lot uh, when, when we have a lot of bare ground, um, you know, a lot of fallow acres, there's a huge amount of heat that does reflect off that ground and it does reflect up into the atmosphere. Um, you can almost see it on weather maps. You know, if you, if you kind of know the different regions across Kansas and see some of the areas where there's a lot more prevalence of fallow or bare acres, you know, you're going to see a lot of those storms either dissipate or basically fall apart over those areas because of the heat. And then once we get over greener areas, and maybe not even within the state of Kansas, but outside of the state of Kansas, when we get over, you know, greener areas that have uh, more vegetation planted, those rains go over there. So basically we transport a lot of our water away from us, you know, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's just, you know, that, that I think that the, the water cycle, the small water cycle is kind of a broken water cycle right now. So um, that's something that I think that we we can look at, you know, in the future. It's not going to be easy to fix, but I think that, you know, there are a lot of programs out there that can help guys uh, get started into some of these. And I'm not saying jump in and plant, you know, full season cover crops all the time. I'm saying that, you know, look at your soils. Are there compaction layers that you can eliminate, you know, to get more moisture in the soil? Um, is your soil laying bare nine months out of the year? If it is, probably you could uh, plug something in for a, a few months of those nine months to get some soil cover, you know, so that it doesn't blow away or, or wash away when you get those rain events or those dry wind events. So um, just look at where you can, where you're at. And I'm not saying totally reinvent the wheel of, of you know, try to just totally reinvent how you farm. I'm just saying, you know, try, try a few things, especially on some of those acres that um, are kind of your poor acres anyway you're probably not out a whole lot to try something different, you know, because just having them, you know, trying something different, you might be able to improve that soil just enough that you can, you can actually get a, uh, raise a little better cash crops on there when you do some of these strategies. So. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) try something little, try something small, but keep going. Um, The concept of the small water cycle is one of the first concepts that once I understood that, once I kind of went back to middle school science class and refreshed my brain about how the small water cycle works, it made me understand the importance of covering cropland. Because if we don't have that photosynthesis activated on the soil, we're going to create that radiant heat and the sun's going to reflect off and it's going to turn into uh, just a really, really hot, desert type situation. So you talked about smart starting small, working on kind of a poorer piece of ground. How do you get that cover crop established in Northwest Kansas? I think a lot of people are going to 
are, are going to say, nope, that's something that you can do in the eastern part of the state. We can't do that here. And I'm going to say it's not necessarily easy. Uh, the first two or three years are probably going to be your, your biggest struggle when you start out. I think the biggest, the biggest opportunity to do it is actually after wheat harvest into wheat, into existing wheat stubble. Um, you know, if you literally go in uh, as soon as you can, you know, to get that established, uh, you're going to see some things and you've got a large enough window. Nine times out of 10, you're going to recover the moisture that you use to, to grow that cover crop because you're going to get some, some winter moisture, some spring moisture. This last winter might have been the, the, the only, you know, if, if you have a really dry winter time or really dry winter and spring time, that might be the only time you're a little further behind. But I don't know that you're further behind in the fact that if you do have that good residue cover out there, you're not going to see your, your ground blowing and you're going to be opening it up, probably being able to receive some of those bigger rains. If you happen to do get the rains in the spring, you're going to negate some of those old compaction layers. Because if you do nothing, you've still got a lot of old plow pans and a lot of old compaction layers um, from years of tillage. So you really got to go try to get those out in some way, you know, um, and long term, basically the only way to long term, you can you can do short term things with tillage. But the long-term way of getting a lot of those old plow pans out is just a living root in the soil, you know, to hold that soil open and to, to get that water in the profile, you know, one, two, three, four foot down, you know, into that soil profile and get those roots down there where they can access that moisture. So walk us through how you would go in after wheat harvest with this cover crop. And I've heard you, I'm going to put you on the spot because I've heard you say publicly in conferences, it could have been Soul Health You in 2020 about being a, a sunlight farmer, harvesting sunlight. So yeah, give us the logistics on putting in covers after, after wheat harvest. Um, basically, you know, a, a lot of it, we, we just, you know, a lot of times we're like, we identify as, as wheat farmers or as corn farmers, or, you know, we have this identity or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rancher or whatever, you know, whatever you might be. But when it comes down to it, we basically need to take sunlight and turn it into, uh, a, you know, turn it into something that we can market through either a growing plant or a growing plant that we can graze and turn into pounds of beef, depending on what your operation is. But, um, you know, if sunlight's not absorbed by a, a living plant, it basically does everything we don't want it to do. It dries the soil out. It makes the soil hard. I think everybody's experienced that if you're in Western Kansas, or probably a, a rock hard brick soil. You know, if you're if you lay it out in 110 degree sunlight, you know, it's it's it, and and don't have any cover on that soil, it's going to pretty much set up like a brick. Um, you know, I think there's a a lot of things to be said for just having a green growing plant out there. And the hardest part is is that we've had it drilled into our mind that everything that's green is using moisture. Well, that's true. It is transpiring moisture, but that transpiration is putting that moisture back up into the atmosphere where we're more likely to get a rain too from it versus if we just try to quote unquote bank it through like a fallow type system where there's moisture in the soil, even with good soil cover, eventually the winds and the sun are going to dry that out. You know, if you have a green growing plant, it's going to be using some moisture, but you might stand a shot of, uh, again, transpiring enough moisture up into the air that you're going to get another, you're going to get a rainfall event, you know, on your land. And more times than not, as we've been in this system, when we do get the rainfalls, 
if we've got that good soil cover and we've used those diverse rooting systems, we've got a lot of different rooting systems in there, we're opening that soil up. So um, across Western Kansas, I think the best thing to do in wheat stubble is to look at kind of like a warm season mix, which would be like um, some millets, sorghum sedans, uh, maybe some uh, a legume like a sun hemp or a cow pea or a mung bean, um, something that's pretty drought tolerant and also have some rooting things in there with tap roots, maybe a sunflower, maybe a, you know, some rapeseed, something that's got a pretty aggressive root system to, uh, to attack those uh, old bow pan layers. But um, just opening the soil up and having a green growing plant, you get biomass on top of the soil to negate runoff and stuff, but you also get that cover on top of the soil so you're not drying it out. So um, those would be some ideas. You know, if you can get into the, into the crop field as soon as possible, that wheat straw is still kind of a little pliable and you're not as likely to just cut it off. You're more likely, it's kind of like running a comb through your hair, that you're more likely to, when you run the drill or the planter through there, you're more likely to actually not cut it off. You're just more likely to go over the top of it. It won't be, whereas the older the stubble gets, the more brittle it gets, the more likely you're going to cut it clear off. And then if you get the big wind events, then you see a blow away. So the the quicker towards, uh, you know, harvest you can get in there, the better off, probably the better off you are too, that you're not going to have as much evaporation because you're still going to have that canopy from that wheat, you know, and as soon as that canopy from that wheat's gone, then if you can get something in there, you're, you're going to have more times than not, you have a little bit of moisture to get something up and going. And if you don't, maybe you need to defer to that August time period. So it, it just depends. So, you know, you get you get the cover crop drilled. What first-time producer going after this? Let's just assume, you know, a, a Kansas wheat grower who would typically do a fallow after harvest. Um, what do you, what are the expectations of that cover crop after you drill it? Honestly, I think that the, the biggest thing when you're first starting out uh, a lot of people get hung up on biomass and they want the actual biomass. They want to plant thick and everything else. I'd rather see guys starting out with, with planting maybe, especially if you're going into wheat stubble where you've got some soil cover. I'd like to see you more concentrate on looking, you know, going out and taking a shovel and looking at your soil. Um, are there pans? Where are the pans at? And then start thinking about, you know, if, if you're not sure, go to your conservation office or go find, you know, a, a seed dealer or go see somebody that that can provide you some technical assistance about rooting depths and stuff and get some roots out there to just take those pans out and to open that soil up and to create that soil aggregation, that openness in the soil so that we can take those rains because you are investing moisture growing this plant. So if you're just focused on more biomass, you're not really alleviating any of the underlying, you know, ground type compaction layers and you're going to run out of moisture. So you really need to probably alleviate those compaction layers and go after the soil remediation more than you need the biomass on top. And then you can go back and start adding the biomass in as you start getting more comfortable with it. But I'd like to see guys start out more with a targeted, you know, lighter application in wheat stubble and for a shorter period of time, you know, they're only using, you know, something that might be terminated by frost, a warm season that might be terminated by frost. So it's only growing for maybe three or two and a half, three months, four months, depending on when our frosts are, um, you know, that, that they use that moisture up, but then it's terminated and then they don't have to worry about terminating it in the spring or when to terminate in the spring. It kind of gives you a, a little bit more of a window for that recharge. So um, just start small. Um, and, and if you're not sure, 
honestly get a lot of different seeds and just start, start, you know, doing that, you know, start planting them. And then don't be afraid uh, come mid-August or late August after it gets up, you know, a foot or two tall. Go out there and start digging. Do your roots go down into the soil or are they going horizontal? If they're going horizontal, they're not really remediating any of those compact, you know, that they're not getting through the through those compaction layers. So it might mean another year that you need to you know, keep working on that. But you know, eventually they will go through those compaction layers and, and work on it. So um just just little things like that. You know, so you're talking about warm season, seeding some warm season cover crops. Could a producer in Northwest Kansas assume that that would winter kill then once once the hard frosts come? What else can you do? You know, on your operation, you've got an advanced system, Michael. You've been after this for a long time. Uh, I know you guys run some cow-calf uh, pairs. What else? Give us kind of a broader options of what a producer can do here with this cover crop because it's a big man it's a big step to to be talking cover yeah. crops in in north northwest kansas because of this limited resource that we have but if we if we're seeing weird environmental things we've got to be thinking outside the box right now yeah i i really think that you know i, I i'm a firm believer that we've got to be proactive and not reactive you know we can't wait another five years and say oh well, darn it, you know, I guess that that this isn't getting any better, that this is kind of the, the weird climate we live in. You know, we've got to be trying to change that we don't live in the same climate that maybe our fathers, yeah. or our grandfathers, or our great grandfathers lived in. So maybe we're going to have to try a few new things. Uh, the one thing that I think that really sells me on it is if you have cattle in your operation, this can be incorporated and, and not necessarily maybe quote unquote pure cover crop that would be more of a, a diverse forage crop, but you can create a lot of diversity in these mixes and the cattle do very well on them. And if you plant them, you're probably going to be planting them a little bit thicker than what I said. If you're just going after crop production, you know, you want to plant them a little bit thicker. So there's forage production plus enough left over that you're still having the, the soil cover and some of those soil effect, you know, the good, good soil remediation purposes. But, you know, you, they're a wonderful feed source out there too. I mean, you can get several pounds uh, of, of gain a day on them. You know, I, I know of people that have got three and a half, four pounds of gain on, on a diverse cover crop before when it's green and lush and growing. And if you don't even want to do it when it's green and lush and growing during the, the late summer, early fall, like we said, it can be fall terminated with frost. And you can go out there in the middle of December and January and instead of feeding hay, you can actually be out on a diverse cover that, you know, is not only providing, you know, soil remediation, but you're also getting the animals out there that they're eating, saving hay costs, and also they're providing manure and urine. So, you know, kind of look at maybe a, a bump on, you know, some fertility, some natural fertility out there that you don't have to spread, that they're spreading for you. You know, it's just little things like that, that, you know, you can easily see how uh, 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 it can be involved. And there are some acres, maybe if you've got a poor acre, it makes more sense to take a, a year off and maybe run a couple cover crops on there to try to get some of these remediations, get a few some supplemental grazing out there, and you know just not have it to cash production with the cost of fertilizer and insurance and and you know our input costs right now. If you have some poor acres, you might want to really you know run the numbers and, and check: Are you really not further ahead by you know doing something to to fix that land in the first place? So, um, just some things like that. You know, we live in in weird times right now. It's not just the we talked about weird environmental stuff, changing weather patterns, 
climate change, but we're in a, some world economic and world um, conflict right now. So what are your thoughts about what producers need to be thinking about in terms of input costs right now? And, and maybe is there, I know it's hard to, to nail down one particular thing. And I, I always get lectured when I ask somebody to give me one thing, but you know, what, what should producers be thinking about for reducing inputs and what's the number one thing that has helped you reduce your inputs? I would say just looking at how you can start cycling nutrients. And, and some of this is just going to be the, the deep dive that you've got to take, you know, uh, educational wise, if you're, if you're not willing to put in the time to do the, the reading or the research on the internet, it's out there, but um, find a person that has done that, you know, find a mentor, you know, um, and that's something that I think that, you know, conservation does really good about that. They're getting better all the time about finding people that are, producers and people out there that are doing these things. Um, you know, conservation, a lot of the district managers and people that are in conservation are really good resources that if they don't have the, you know, if they don't have the ability themselves to answer your question, they probably know somebody, you know, whether it be a soil health specialist or whether it be somebody else up the food, you know, somewhere else, some other region, they know somebody that can answer the question. So, uh, and and we're paying our taxes, you know, they're, they're a resource for us to use and we really uh, want to utilize them. So I'd say that that would be a huge thing, you know, that we could use is, is our, our conservation and just creating peer groups, you know, person to person, you know, farmer to farmer. And maybe it's not your next door neighbor. Maybe it's two counties away that you get together, you know, a couple times over the winter or you don't even have to do that. Like the, the, the beauty of meetings and online meetings and, uh, you know, group phone calls, group uh, text messages, things like that. Uh, we've got a lot of great things now that you can be a county away or, or half a state away and still check in on these people and still, you know, um, create these peer groups for, for not only education, but a lot of times they start out as education about what you're doing and how you're doing it. But then you've also got the support mechanism for when times do, when you get through that really dry time or, or when things really go poorly or go south, you have somebody to refer to or say, hey, you know, what are you doing here? Or what can I do here? You know, that really gives you that, um, you know, that support when you need it. So that, that's just something that you could look at too. That's what I love about this. We've talked about it too, about it feels like the soil health movement, the soil squad, it's about being open and transparent about what's working, what's not working, what resources we need. There's some fantastic organizations. I think between the two of us, we're probably involved in <laughs> more, more organizations than the average uh, Joe, but, but let's talk a little bit who else we're involved with. We've got, um, I work with Great Plains Regeneration. I've got a peer mentor group here in Northeast Kansas in the Alma Paxico region, a group of farmers that I'm helping um, another one in Southeast Kansas with some regenerative ag. Who else, who else are we highlighting in Kansas right now? Oh, well, I, <laughs> I've had my, uh, I've had uh, a little bit of everything. I, I am very passionate about what we're doing and that's why I try to give back because I want to help as many people, you know, try to try to be successful with this. Uh, I don't want them to try for one year and fail. Uh, I currently am on No Child on the Plains board. I'm board president. I also am working with Kansas Soil Health Alliance. Uh, that's a board that's made up of all producers and uh, whether it be farmer, farmers and ranchers from Kansas. 
And we're a real authentic group that we're all doing things on our own farms and ranches to try to make, you know, a difference. And we firmly, you know, strongly believe of what we're doing. And we just want to get, you know, answer questions and try to be a resource. So we've created a, a calendar of events for, you know, things that are going on in the state and across the, the kind of this, this region, the Great Plains region. So if you have a thing that's going on in your conservation district or your, you know, local area, please let us know so we can get it out there. Because that was my frustration is there's a lot of great learning events, but a lot of things people just don't know about because they're maybe a county or two away and they're just not well publicized or they're not getting out there. So, you know, just try to be a resource to, to get that out to more people. But, um, and I say that once you start getting some knowledge, try to do those peer networks. Uh, right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm working with the state too, to help some producers with what they call soil health coaching, where basically we just give a little bit of guidance to try to get these guys to, you know, get them comfortable with what they're doing, understand what they're looking for in the soil. And hopefully it's going to be one of those things where the people that we're working with now, they'll take four or five people under their wings. So it's kind of like, you know, if we work with four or five people now, maybe it'll be 50 or 60 on down the road as we get these people to, to uh, you know, really uh, take these practices and make them work on their farms and ranches. It's a domino effect. Yep. I mean, if, if, you know, years ago when we were talking about this, I agree, a lot of the information was fragmented, ideas were fragmented. We are starting to see, especially in Kansas and beyond, this soil health regenerative ag movement really flourish and bloom. And it's because of pioneers like yourself who were willing to take the time to answer the questions and maybe to answer the questions over and over and over again, um, because that's where we have to be. And, and that's what I like about um, even just this soul health podcast that we're doing, we're getting back to the basics and we're answering the questions that are on somebody's minds. I'm seeing more people ask questions at conferences. It used to be, you'd learn about a topic and everybody would just kind of, you know, be sitting back and listening. But now we're having lively conversation. We're questioning the status quo. We're trying to push things forward and, and really have a, a great combination. So Michael, I think that that's going to round out our conversation today. This has been fantastic chatting with you and, we hope to see you at Soul Health U next year in 2023. I think that'll be a, another place for us to continue some of the peer-to-peer -peer education and doing more of a deep dive on Soul Health. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me today. Alrighty. We'll sign off until next time. Appreciate you joining us today. And for more Soil Health information from High Plains Journal, please sign up, hit the subscribe button at the bottom of the page. I look forward to growing together.